0: Given that we talk about Yishmael, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Yishmael and um, his descendants, and uh, we'll talk about the at least spiritual continuation in Islam and the Arabs and their relationship with our people. This is somewhat of a continuation. Some time ago, we did a class on um, Judaism and Christianity, and um, this will be a sequel to that. So. Yishmael was the older son of Abraham, as we said. He was born to Hagar. Hagar was Sarah's Egyptian maid. After Sarah didn't have children for many years, she asked Abraham. She freed Hagar and asked Abraham to marry her. Um, Hagar um, ran away at one point, and the angel met an angel who told her to go back. She'll have a son with him, with Abraham, Yishmael, and they will become a great nation. Uh, indeed, um, she has a son. They call his name Yishmael. Um, Ishmael, at thirteen years old, is circumcised by Abraham when Abraham gets circumcised, um, and at fourteen his brother younger brother Yitzhak Isaac, is born. We mentioned this last week. Sarah said that uh, f- felt that Ishmael was a negative influence on his younger brother. And so um, Sarah asks Abraham to kick Ishmael out of the house. Abraham doesn't want to, he 's his child. And so God then appears to Abraham and says, listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Yitzchak is your future. Abraham has no choice. He gets up early the next morning because whenever God tells him something, no matter how difficult, he does it anyway. And so he um, takes Hagar and Yishmael, he gives them food and water, and he sends them off. They go off to the desert. They wander the desert. They get lost in the desert. They run out of water. Yishmael is dying of (laughs) thirst. Hagar throws. It's the story we read it last in last week's reading. We read the story on Rosh Hashanah every year, first day of Rosh Hashanah. Hagar um, throws Yishmael to the side under one of the under the brushes, and she sits on the side crying. Uh, she doesn't want to see her son die of thirst. And um, suddenly, an angel appears to her and says, "Why are you crying, um, Hagar?" Um, and he opens her eyes and she sees right next to her there's a well with water. And she goes and she gives the boy to drink and um, he's presumably an older teenager by right now. And um, she drinks herself and the angel tells her um, uh, lift up the boy, hold his hand I will make him into a great people. Anyway, he gets married. Torah tells he gets married to a girl from Egypt um, where his mother was from. And he becomes an archer. An archer, we understand, to be a euphemism. An archer was not a profession. An archer is a euphemism for a bandit. In other words, he was an archer. He would throw arrows at people. Um, and That was the way to... He was a bandit, not um, someone that Abraham... Not the son that Abraham was very proud of. Um, the Midrash does say... So in this week's reading, we have Ishmael that has 13 children living in the desert... Um, the Midrash does say he remains in touch with Abraham. There's an interesting Midrash which tells us that um, in Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer that Abraham once wanted to visit his son Yishmael. Sarah was not happy about it. So they made a deal, he could go visit his son Yishmael, but he will not get off his camel. He won't get off. uh, He won't stop there. He'll just visit him and leave. So he travels and he comes to where Yishmael is living and he comes to the... um, he comes, he knocks on the tent and a woman answers the door and he um, says, "Um, I'm hungry, thirsty, came from long trip, can I have something to eat? And so she says, no, you're a stranger. And he says, is your husband home? She says, no. He says, tell your husband that an old man from Canaan came and um, he thinks that it's time for him to change his doormat. His what? Doormat. To welcome. Doormat. So Yishmael comes home. He gets the <laughs> message. He understands that his father does not approve of his wife. So he gets rid of her and um, remarries. Because remember, Abraham was a man who brought in guests. That, that was his, we spoke about it last week. He was a man of kindness. He uh, remarries Abraham a couple years later, goes back to visit Yishmael. Um, this time he comes, he knocks on the door. Again, there's a woman home, and um, he asks for food and drink, and she him, invites him in and offers him food and drink. And he says, Your husband home? No. Um, tell him that an old man from Canaan <laughs> came and says, You have a very good doorman. <laughs> oh my God. So, well, he was trying to pass the hint over. He knew his son Yishmael would understand. Um, so Yishmael does come back. He is mentioned in this week's Torah reading at Abraham's funeral. He was there at Abraham's funeral. So he was clearly in touch with Abraham. The Midrash tells us that God promised Abraham, You will die with good, ripe old age. You will die with ripe old age or in good um, old age. Our sages say the only thing that a person that can make a person happy when they in their old age when they die is that they're happy with their children, they're ch- they're proud of their children. This, if God promised Abraham he will die, with in good old age, then um, he must have died happy with his children. And they say therefore Yishmael must have done teshuva, must have changed his ways, returned to Abraham, and became a disciple of Abraham and of Isaac, and they point out that in the, when Abraham is buried, Yitzchak is mentioned first, Yishmael allowed his younger brother to go first, because he became a disciple of his younger brother, Isaac. So he did do Teshuvah himself, his children did not. His 13 children, or his children did not remain part of Abraham's people in the continuation, we did, they did not. His children became their own nomadic tribes wandering through the desert. The names of the 13 children are mentioned in this week's reading. Some of those tribes are mentioned later in scripture. We don't actually mention any of Yishmael, tribes of Yishmael later in scripture. We do in some poems mention the Bnei Yishmael, sons of Yishmael. And there's a few medrashim about Yishmael's descendants. But some of his children, particularly Nevayot and Kedar, um, are mentioned Many times, tribes of Neviot, tribes of Kedar, are mentioned later in scripture. Um, and uh, it appears Kedar may actually be just a generic term for the southeastern tribes. So the descendants of Ishmael, we're told, inhabited the desert, the Arabian desert. Um, just to give you a sense of where the Arabian desert is, um printed a little map just that you would be able to see it. So in ancient times, this was the, um, <coughs> you can see this, um, this was called the Fertile Crescent. That's where people lived. That was the settled area, the Fertile Crescent. This whole area is all desert. Can't live there. It's all desert. All of it. All of this was where the Arabian tribes were, um, hung out. So there were many, many different tribes. Now among the different tribes that I mentioned, many of them have connections with Abraham. So firstly, Abraham had a great-grandfather whose name was Peleg. Peleg had a brother called Yaktan. They're Semites, related, but this is Abraham's great, great, great uncle. Yaktan has 13 children also. Each of his children become nomadic tribes also in the Arabian desert. So we have, they're all named in Noah. They're among the 70 nations. So we have those tribes. We have Yishmael's 13 children. Abraham si- has six children at the end of this week's reading. Each of those children become nomadic tribes. They become fathers of these nomadic tribes also that wander the desert. Some of them we, met, we meet quite a lot, particularly Medan and Midian that lived east of Israel. Um, so um, the Med- Medanites and Midianites lived right up here, um, right very close to the land of Israel, which is over here. Um, the, then also um, Isaac has a son, Esav. Esav's children actually inhabit a more inhabited area um, called Edom, but his, one of his grandchildren, Amalek, becomes a nomadic tribe that settles in the Sinai desert. Well, Yishmael's descendants and Yaktan's descendants are all down here. So they all get mixed in, um, at least in our tradition of how the nations developed. So some of, the, some of those uh, Arab... Uh, is that oil lands? Do they get the oil? Is this that- is all the oil. This is old oil lands. It's yeah. Saudi Arabia. Oh yeah, okay. oil is all around here. Okay, <laughs> okay. that's all the oil. Okay. That's so, so, um, so they are mentioned in um, scripture, and we did we did believe that some of the tribes have inha- these Bedouin Arabic tribes inhabiting these this massive desert area that today covers much of Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen, and much more. Um, that much of this Arab area, the tribes, some of them with the sense of Yishmael some with the sense of these other individuals that we mentioned. Um, so, while that was our tradition and our scripture, uh, there's no evidence that these tribes themselves ever heard of Ishmael, um, had any recollection of Yishmael or believed themselves to be his descendants. Um, Around the 100, uh, until about 700 BCE, um, the Middle East, the Fertile Crescent, and really the whole Middle East was lots of different small nations, lots of different nation states. Starting about 700 BCE um, began a period known as the Empire Period, starting with the Assyrians, Babylonians, um, eventually the Greeks, and there were many empires across the Fertile Crescent. One of the impacts of the empires was that all the small tribal states and all the small nations. All disappeared. They all became assimilated in a single Aramaic-speaking people throughout the Fertile Crescent. Uh, we Jews remained unique, although we also spoke Aramaic. Um, and during this, around this time, also the different Arabic tribes that probably um, that uh, were each known kind of individually also became collectively known as Arabs and had less of a sense of their own individualism and their own relationships. And so they also kind of lost their identity together with most ancient peoples around this period, their unique identity. In other words, not knowing their exact lineage, where they came from and who, which tribes were related to whom. So, um, and they all began to speak, um, just as in the Fertile Crescent itself, everyone was speaking Aramaic, a single language, in the desert, the nomadic tribes wandering the desert, um, all began speaking also a language um, very similar to Aramaic, a Semitic language called um, Arabic. And these people from then on became known as Arabs. So very few empires managed to conquer Arab lands. Alexander tried conquering Arabia without any success. It's hard for city people to conquer nomads. Very difficult thing to do. There are similarities. They're both they're both Semitic languages. Aramaic is closer to Hebrew than Arabic is to either language. So yes. What was the difference between Sarah's marriage and Hagar's marriage? Because Sarah and part of the Jewish religion. Why wasn't um part of the Jewish Excellent question. That's what God decided. That's a simple answer. God decided. Ishmael clearly was not righteous and didn't deserve to be. But God promised Abraham in advance when Ishmael was a child, Ishmael is not going to be your future. Yitzchak will be your future. So it was God's decision? God's decision. But Yitzchak did live up to it, which was would have been his choice. Was the mother of Hagar Jewish? Hagar was Egyptian. Nobody was Jewish. Jewish didn't exist yet. So Abraham was a Hebrew, and so was his Sarah, Sarah, who was his niece, and Hagar was Egyptian. Many Jews settled in Arab lands, especially as we were kicked out of our own lands and we were persecuted elsewhere. Many Jews settled in Arab lands. Some became nomads, creating their own Jewish nomadic tribes, wandering the desert. Um, Many settled down in towns in the Arabian desert over time, towns developed, especially along the Red Sea. Um, and in other areas, there were towns, and so many Jews did settle in towns. Um, around the 600s, when Islam began, early 600s, um, there were many Jews and Christians across Arabia, most, uh, but most of the nomads and villagers were still pagan at the time. Now, the founder of Islam was, his name was Mohammed, as we all know. Um, he learned a lot of Jewish and Christian teachings. He started off in Mecca and then spent a, then, um, be, spent a long time in Medina, which was a large city um, and a large met, uh, metropolitan. And uh, there were many Jews and Christians living in Medina that he knew, um, interacted with. And he took a lot of our stories, Jewish teachings and Christian teachings, and incorporated them into his own, corrupting many of them. He messes up the stories. Um, He has the story of Abraham and Yishmael, although um, he um, declares Yishmael a prophet. And as um, discovering, presumably through these Jews and Christians that he knew, that Jews believed that Yishmael's descendants settled in Arabia, he declared Yishmael to be the ancestor of all Arabs. And he continued himself to be a continuation of the Jewish and Christian prophets as a descendant of Yishmael. And so, from his time on, Muslim Arabs considered themselves to be descendants of Ishmael. Now, before Mohammed, they had probably never heard of Ishmael, um, unless Jews told them about it. Um, we considered some Arabs to be descendants of Ishmael, but we really did not have any idea whom. We knew that his descendants had, had, some Arabs were his descendants, who we don't know. Um, but they considered themselves all to be his descendants. Now Muhammad swiftly took control of um, the um, of the coast of Medina and Mecca, and he forced all pagans to convert. Many Jews resisted him, and Jewish communities who resisted his rule um, were slaughtered. And um, his book, the Quran, describes him slaughtering Jews. Uh, but those who did accept his reign, um, he allowed them to live in his lands in peace. So long as Jews, so long as they accepted him, accepted his rule, um, he did not force them um, to convert. And so Jews from the very beginning of Islam lived under Islamic rule. We rejected Mohammed as a prophet. Um, for us, prophecy ended quite a time, quite a while earlier. Uh, but it's clear that Mohammed could, firstly, he wasn't Jewish to start with. Um, He didn't have the signs that Judaism requires for a prophet. And uh, most importantly, no prophet can ever change Judaism. We believe that Judaism will never change. We did class on this some time ago. So um, he came and he changed. He claimed to be a uh, continuation of Judaism, but he changed it. Clearly, he is a false prophet. We do not believe in him at all. Uh, nor, Nor did we ever, nor did we even in Mohammed's own days, Jews that came in contact with him directly, did not believe in him. Um, the ones that ridiculed him were severely punished, uh, but those that didn't bother him accepted his rule. He allowed them to live in peace. And he did the same for Christians. Within a decade after his death, his successors captured much of the Middle East, including all of modern day Iraq, Iran, Syria, Israel, Egypt pushing back the Byzantine Empire and the Persian Empire and eventually destroying the Persian Empire. And um, these new territories that they captured included millions of Jews and included the largest Jewish communities in the world at the time. Most Jews at the time lived in Babylonia, Mesopotamia, or Iraq. And um, the capture of Iraq within the decade after um, Mohammed's death put the largest Jewish communities in the world um, under Islamic rule. So, now the rise of Islam, just like um, Rome's conversion to Christianity some 300 years before that, was one of, the most, one of the biggest changes in the history of religion. And the sudden conquest of the lands, um, and they conquered lands from Spain to India within a few decades. It was one of the greatest geopolitical events in history. Now, like Christianity, Islam brought many major Jewish values and many stories and many beliefs of Judaism to very large numbers of people. And in many ways, as we'll soon see, the teachings of Islam was a huge improvement over Christianity, definitely a major change from paganism. So Jewish scholars, like Maimonides, saw the spread of Islam, another step in bringing humanity closer to recognizing the true God. Rav Sajid Gaon believed that the Arab Empire was the fourth empire seen by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, in the book of Daniel, has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a statue with four parts, four empires. And there's some debate as to exactly what those different empires were or will be. Uh, but Rav Sajid Gaon believed that they were the... Um, they were the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek and Roman Empire, the Greeks and Romans he considers one and the same, and the Arabic Empire, the four empires that will control the world. There's a lot of other interpretations as to what those empires are, but clearly it was an empire that was destined to take over the world. Now, if you think of the change, before that, most, before the advent of Christianity, almost all people were pagan. Christianity came to the world, Christianity turned the entire Roman Empire and beyond into people who believed in God and believed in many Jewish values, believed in the Torah, believed in Moses, knew the stories of the Torah and believed in them. And so we brought many parts of Judaism to the world. They still believed in other gods. Um, they weren't really monotheists. They, had, um, they, they believed in more than one God. They weren't all the way there. So we'll soon see some other um, problems that they had then Islam came to the world. They had some very strange beliefs, very strange ideas, but they brought the belief in one God even further. Even more pagans changed their religion, became, started believing in God, believing in Moses, believing in the Torah, the teachings of the Torah. Um, and they even brought many Christians, many of the early converts to Islam were Christians, most a big, very large number. And they, many Christians living in the former Byzantine Empire, um, Syria, Egypt, uh, converted to North Africa, converted to Islam, and now went from believing in multiple gods to believing in one god. So it was definitely a huge improvement for our world. Jewish mystics saw the um, rise of another Abrahamic religion... As another continuation of Abraham. And as we mentioned, some of you may recall when we spoke about the rise of Rome and the mystical connection between Rome and Isaac's son Asaf, a grandson of Abraham, and who saw Christians as a spiritual continuation of um, Isaac, of Isaac. oh, sorry, of Asav, and um, saw Christians as um, not fully there, but at least on the right track, um, continuing Aesav's and the friction between Christians and Jews. Um, to represent the friction between Yitzchak and, uh, sorry, Yaakov and Asav. Um, so Jewish mystics saw the same with the Arabs. They saw the Arabs and Muslims as a continuation of Yishmael, another one of Abraham's children that didn't turn out exactly the way he would have liked, and um, the friction between Jews and Muslims uh, as a continuation of the friction between Yitzchak and Yishmael. Now, when the Muslims conquered much of Israel, uh, much of the ancient world, and just to give you a sense, I made a copy also. Find it. Just a sense of what they, how big it was. Um, the Muslims captured an area going, as you can see, from the Indian subcontinent over here all the way across to the Atlantic Ocean. So they, the area, This is the original Muslim conquest. Within a couple of decades after. Um, Mohammed's death. No, Europe, also.
1: Not Europe. Europe's no. up here. They didn't get to Europe. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. They did not make it to Europe. That, no.
0: Later, late, many, many years later, they're going to conquer Turkey. What was Byzantine? Oh, but they have Spain, don't they? Yeah, they conquered yeah. Southern, much, most of Spain. Spain and Yes, and Sicily, they're going to conquer as well. So, Jews, Muslims allowed Jews to live in peace, but they did require them to pay a special tax. They were also limited in many ways, which was somewhat of a change from the Zoroastrian Persians that most Jews had lived under previously. The Zoroastrian Persians, although they did have issues with them, were mostly tolerant. Um, among other things, Jews who had been farming much of Babylonia, much of Mesopotamia, for some 800 years since the end of the first temple, were kicked off their lands and were forced to move into the big cities. Uh, after that, that was the end of Jewish farming. And before that, we had all been agrarian. Uh, after that, they kicked us off the farms. We never went back to farming again. Uh, there were a lot of attempts to try to get Jews back onto farms. We just never went for it. Um, as hard as we tried, they made kibbutzim in Israel. They made villages here. As, as the Jews got off, as soon, ran away as soon as they could. So, um, but we lived in we lived under Muslim rule. Um, There was persecution. There were limits as to what Jews could do, but it was much less than in Christian lands. We never really had ghettos in Muslim lands. Um, Jews could do almost any occupation, while in Christian lands they were very, very limited. Pogroms were much, much less common in Muslim lands. Just violent attacks um, were much less common than um, in in Christian lands, although they did exist. And um, Most importantly, Muslims historically almost never mixed into Jewish religious practice. They never forcibly converted us, with some very few exceptions. They never told us what we should be doing. Christians did not have that kind of tolerance at all. They regularly forcibly converted us. They told us how we have to, what we have to do in our synagogues. Um, they made us listen to sermons from Christian priests throughout much of the Middle Ages. We had to go every Sunday to hear a sermon, um, and so uh, about why Jews are damned. And so so the Jews did live. They weren't an equal, but they did live in a much more tolerant society in Islam. And Jews generally thrived in in Muslim lands. They followed them westward to North Africa, to Spain. They created very, very large Jewish communities in Tunisia, in Spain. And within a century of the Muslim conquest, this is by the early 700s, Muslim lands, um, both in Spain, North Africa, Tunisia, in Uh, later in Egypt, in Iraq, all became centers of learning, astronomy, um, mathematics, philosophy. The first universities in the world were built in these places, Um, Cordoba, in Kirwan, which is Tunisia, in Baghdad, um, later in Cairo. um, And these were some of the earliest universities in the world, and uh, these, these were built back then, and um, they became Muslims became a center of scholarship. And many Jews were involved heavily in that scholarship. Many, many Jewish scholars worked in those universities. Many Jews taught astronomy and mathematics and medicine. Um, they translated all the Greek philo- uh, philosophical works into Arabic. And uh, Arabic became the language of any scholarly individual. In fact, Jews living in Christian lands, many Jewish scholars spoke Arabic because that was the scholarly language. That was anyone who was... Anyone who was a scholar had to know how to speak Arabic. That was the language of scholarship. Many Jews became very, very wealthy. Jews were great in trade. Many rose to high political positions. And of course, Torah study flourished. The largest of all those Arab Muslim communities was in Muslim Spain and North Africa. Um, there had been, um, towards in the 9, 100s, there was quite a bit of persecution against Jews in Babylon. The yeshivas there were closed. And so Jews moved westward in very, very large numbers. Um, and this really lasted until the mid-1100s. In the mid-1100s, there was a violent group, really the only such group in Islamic history until our times, until the last decade, um, called the al The al group were a group that believed that everybody had to be Muslim and a very, very um, limited ver- version of Islam that didn't allow for any scholarship, didn't allow for any study, didn't allow for any free thinking, um, the Muslims were very tolerant of free, free thought. Um, they not persecute people for being um, her- heretics or the like. Um, people had a lot of freedom of speech and, and thought. And so these al were really the extreme fundamentalists. And they, um, they came out of North Africa. They conquered much of North Africa. And wherever they went, it was Islam with a sword. And um, they destroyed centers of learning. Um, and they uh, invaded Spain. Um, they destroyed the Jewish communities in Cordoba, destroyed the libraries the universities um, and really brought, brought an end to what had been a golden age of Spain, um, brought an end to uh, and North Africa uh, brought an end to Islamic learning in that part of the world and brought an end to the Jewish communities in that part of the world most of the Jews fled northward to um, the parts of Spain that were under Christian rule in France uh, but most fled northward uh, to escape the um, persecution. Some, like Maimonides, who lived through that as a child, fled to um, Egypt, which was under Muslim lands. Um, others fled to other places. But Jews really suffered um, over there. Rabbi, so that group is really the reaction to the Crusades? The Almohads were nowhere near the Crusades. The Almohads started out in what today is Morocco. Um, they were a group of soldiers who were following some crazy, um, you know, some crazy religious leaders. Uh, they were not. You no, know, but their appeal, their appeal to the people was that this was a reaction to what the Crusaders did fifty years earlier. But they. I'm they not aware of that. The of Crusaders that. were consistent and continued for many, many years. Uh, I'm not aware of any such reaction. Um, it was, a, it was a one-time event in Islamic history. Where this crazy group took over a big chunk of the Muslim world and destroyed big parts of it and destroyed the the large flourishing Jewish communities. I don't know if you know. I don't don't know if if it was a reaction to anything specific. Uh, After that, from that time on, the largest there were always Jewish communities in Muslim lands. The Yamukids, thankfully, um, were defeated and fell apart over time. Um, They never regained Spain. Spain. That that was the beginning of the Reconquista, where um, the Christians started moving south of Spain because the Spanish, the Arabic community in Spain never um, never managed to um, uh, recover from that invasion, um, and so uh, while Jews did live in Muslim lands, um, the largest Jewish communities in the world after that were all in were all living in Christian lands where they went through quite a bit of persecution under Christians but they lived under Christian rule um, that changed a little bit after the expulsion of Jews for, from Spain Spain expelled its Jews which were at the time were hundred, numbered hundreds of thousands many of them moved to Arabic North Africa and um, in 1453 the, um, the Turks conquered Constantinople and they invited Jews to come build the country many Spanish, Spanish exiles, many other Jews persecuted in Christian lands moved there where they were given a lot of freedoms and a lot of um, and Jews were respected and very successful under Muslim rule. So, what does Judaism have to say about Islam? What is our response to Islam? Um, so, we're grateful to Christianity, as we mentioned earlier, for promoting many of our shared beliefs, including the belief in God they They've shared across the world. Two billion Christians in the world believe in God, believe in the Torah, believe in the value of life. Hard to imagine, but pre-Christianity, a lot of people didn't believe in the value of life. Um, didn't believe in the value of individuality. We believe in helping the values of helping others, the value of family. These are all very Jewish values that were adopted by Christianity and really spread around the world. Uh, we did differ from Christianity in a, a number of very important Core beliefs. Most importantly, the belief in one God. We only believe in one. They believe in more than one. We also, unlike Christians, believe very much in the importance of action, mitzvah, commandments. It's not all about what you. It's not only about what you believe or what you feel in your heart. It's not about um, eternal salvation because you have the right belief, but it's about what you do. Um, we also don't believe in the original sin. We believe that God is responsible for our temptations are our challenges and God creates us to stand up to those challenges um, and uh, so those are some core beliefs that we differ from Christianity um, in almost all of those core beliefs in which we differ from Christianity Islam shares our beliefs Islam um, believes also in one God believes also in the value of action and um, believes also that every person struggles in themselves and our individual struggles are created by God. Um, so we also believe in, Islam believes in a lot of our, almost all of our core beliefs. Of course, we don't believe in Mohammed as a prophet. We don't believe in his corrupted version of the Torah stories. We don't believe in many of their other te- teachings. But there's no question that theologically, Islam is a lot closer to Judaism than Christianity is. They believe in the value of life? They believe in the value of life, absolutely. They believe in the value of Now, there's a term in this country that has been used for about 150 years called Judeo-Christian values. Um, Judeo-Christian values usually is not, in its origin had nothing to do with Judaism. It was really another way of saying Protestant Christian values. That's what it meant in its origin. Um, In more recent years, it's been used to imply the shared values of Judaism and Christianity. Um, In all honesty, and this has been pointed out by many, if talking about shared values of Judaism and Christianity, it would be um, fairer to say Abrahamic values, monotheistic values, or Judeo-Christian-Islam values, given that if we use Judeo-Christian values to exclude Judeo-Christian versus Islam, to exclude Islam... um, in reality, we object, uh, from objectively, we share a lot more values with Islam than we do with Christianity. And we're grateful to Islam for sharing a more Jewish life value system in the world, um, just as we are to Christianity. It's not the ideal, it's not the end goal, we still have more work to do, um, but it definitely brought the world a huge step closer to recognition in God and recognition in the Torah. Yes. I always thought that Judeo-Christian values referred to the Ten Commandments. Possibly, I don't know. I don't think that was what it originally meant to refer to. Um, As far as I know, Muslims believe in the Ten Commandments as well. And I'm not an expert in any other in Christianity or Islam. In the early twentieth century. Um, Jewish nationalism or the movement for Jews to move back to our promised land the land of Israel that was given to us that we've always tried to move back but modern um, changes geopolitical changes made it more realistic uh, for us to move back to Israel and create a Jewish state there really grew it was known as Zionism and it grew at the same time as a movement of Arab nationalism the Arabs were under Ottoman rule at the time and the Arabs and some of them were under um, other colonial rules and uh, it really grew at the same time as Arab nationalism. Originally both movements, Zionism and Arab nationalism worked hand in hand against the common enemy um, which were the Ottoman Turks With um, and um, they even signed an agreement in uh, 1918 um, to split the Middle East between Jews and Arabs um, but with European encouragement um, and Europeans that were very anti-Semitic and anti-Jewish, they turned the Arab, the Arab movement gradually moved against Jews. And as a result, um, most Arabs over the years between World War I and World War II turned against Zionism and against Jews in general. When Israel was proclaimed as a state in 1948, it was attacked by Arab countries around it. And Jews across the Arab world were attacked. There were pogroms, the likes of many many of which had not been seen in these countries or these cities ever before, um, were attacked. Many Jewish communities were in mortal danger. Um, Israel immediately set about trying to bring Jews in those countries that were in mortal danger to the land of Israel in very, very large numbers. They brought all the Jews of Yemen over um, over a course of a few weeks all the Jews of um, Iraq. And over the next 20 years, more than 800,000 Jews were forced to flee Arabic lands, um, many of them moving to Israel, some of them moving to other places. And the Arab world became no longer safe for Jews. And Israel has been at war with all Arab states since just about, with a few exceptions, um, and has very, um, no relationship with almost any Muslim states either. Brought up the term Zionist or Zionism. Could you define that and explain why it is now considered a pejorative? Subject for another class. I always wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> Got that, Annette? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> now, historically, it's important to note: historically, the violence perpetrated by Arabs was, had a religious tinge to it, but was mostly driven by secularists was mostly driven by secularists, by Arab secular Arab nationalists, which were very, very big in the Arab, in the Arab world. Most of the governments were very secular, left-wing, often um, often connected with, um, often connected with um, the Soviets. And um, much of it was very secular, and they were connected with other secular um, violent groups. Um, but in the last 40 years, there's been a huge change. In the last 40 years, and this is fairly recent, this is in our own lifetime. Um, in the last 40 years, um, there have been, there's been a rise starting in the 1980s with violent Muslim groups. Groups that started um, calling for violence and terror in the name of Islam. It's something that's fairly unique to our history because it hasn't really happened historically. Um, but it does exist today. And um, in the last forty years, many of these Muslim groups have attacked Israel, have attacked Jews in general around the world, and have attacked um, Westerners in general around the world. Um, and have and there's, there's been many such groups. And with the decline of communism, almost all terror groups worldwide today are religious Muslim, and um, they've become the source of most terror and violence today. Jews around the world have become a primary target for these Muslim terror groups. Now, after 9-11, it became clear in this country that most Muslims in the world today harbor what was once European anti-Semitic beliefs. So beliefs that were common that Jews slaughtered Christian children and that Jews are the demon and all sorts of other crazy beliefs that no rational person would ascribe to. It's become clear that the vast majority of Muslims today... They didn't a few generations ago, but today the vast majority of them harbor these beliefs. And Islam in general has become very, very anti-Semitic. It's new. It hasn't always existed in Islam. Although Islam was not always great to Jews, but the, the vicious anti-Semitism is new, but it's around. In the past 30, 40 years, we've seen an unbelievable switch that our grandparents would have never believed. Religious Christians, who were always viciously anti-Semitic, including in this country, have by and large become Philo-Semites, love Jews. And today, the, when you see well, within the Christian community, the more religious they are as a rule, the more they love Jews. And it's, it's a phenomenon. after more than almost 2000 years of persecution and hatred. We've seen this unbelievable change. And at the same time, within those same 30, 40 years, we've seen Muslims switch totally the other way, where most Muslims even we, uh, most Muslims have these very strongly anti-Semitic views. Mm-hmm. What we've also discovered, and this needs to be said and needs to be noted, that today, most Muslims, even moderates, and even westernized Muslims, even highly western and highly sophisticated Muslims, not all, there are exceptions, but the vast majority of surveys show this time and again, and um, organizations that um, go through, people that go through videos of what's going on in mosques and sermons, even moderates, and even pro-Western Muslims, the vast majority of them harbor vicious anti-Semitic views, unbelievable views. And their people. And what happened after 9/11 this is important. Many Jew, There was a lot of dialogue between Jewish Christian communities in this country, and between Jewish Muslim communities. And almost all of those dialogue groups after 9/11 um, were ended because, for one reason, because Almost every single Muslim leader that was involved in these groups was discovered to be an anti-Semite. And there was video of them making anti-Semitic statements. And it's still true today. And so history has really reversed. And we must recognize that, firstly, as we've seen yesterday, we still stand the threat from... Um, Right-wing anti-Semites or neo-Nazis, white supremacists are a serious threat to our community. They're small. They're very, very small in this country, but they still remain a threat. And at the same time, um, Muslims in this country, not the extremists, but the moderates also remain a threat to us because they tend to be very anti-Semitic. And we have to recognize this. um, And we have to be aware of it. And we have to work to change it, recognizing that historically, Islam has not had that anti-Semitism. It's very, very recent. Let, let me finish, and then we'll take issue. So the, it's, it's, it's fairly recent. We have to recognize that um, we have to work to change it by firstly making people aware that it exists is the first step in changing it, um, calling it out where it does exist. Uh, making it very clear that any moderate who's an anti-Semite um, is uh, unacceptable; to, cannot be included in the community or in any public things in any way, and should be um, and should be ostracized. Um, doesn't matter how moderate or how pro-Western they are; if they're an anti-Semite, they should not be included, Uh, but at the same time, it's important to also recognize that we believe that Islam taught the world many values that we share, and we hope for the day that Islam overcomes its anti-Semitism, as Christianity did, and even more so, we hope and we pray for the coming of Mashiach, when we will all recognize Hashem, and everyone, Muslims, Christians, pagans, everyone will recognize God, and recognize the truth of the Torah.